Hello and welcome to the Win-Win Effect podcast with your host, Chris Ross. This is the show for anyone that wants to drive productivity and maximize potential in any industry. Let's take a moment. Have you ever wondered about the psychology behind the persuasive marketing driving you to take action, sometimes on products you never thought people would buy? Well, that's just what makes this podcast stand out from the others. On these episodes, Chris will break down proven strategies that his companies use to respectably enroll prospective students into the correct programs to achieve overall business success and fulfillment in life. You will get a rare centralized look into both sides of the buyer-seller relationships that I'm sure anyone tuning in will receive massive value from to implement instantly. There are huge quantities of informational material from companies just trying to sell products, but not many giving you the right information on how to build companies from solid foundations, focusing on customers actually winning as the outcome. The Win-Win Effect podcast is a character-based code for human interaction and collaboration in business. Time is the only non-renewable resource in life. So with this podcast, the outcome is designed to bring you value, to make it worth your time. Happy Monday, Monday, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Win Win Effect podcast. This is Chris Ross, and I have our co-host, Wes Bays, back going, joining us as well. Wes, welcome back, my man. What's going on? You all right? It's good to be here. Good to be here. It's, uh, you know, it's a nice day. And I see, especially with you back there, you got some clear skies. So clear skies today, man. It's a little peculiar for London because it has been raining for the last couple of weeks, but been pretty good weather. I think it's that shift to in spring for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We have a really good show planned for today. And I know we've had a lot of conversations about handling objections and what's the best approach when you're going into, you know, just dissecting someone's human behavior and why they make decisions when it comes to in, in the selling process, buying time frame. But the main thing we look at, and we've had a lot of conversations and we have similar views on, it's not about handling an objection. It's about dealing with the objection with the buyer and why they usually make poor decisions. But many people feel that there's some deep, dark mystery about handling objections. And a lot of people have different misconceptions on it or beliefs. But if there's a secret about how to do this properly, it's all about your proactive reproach, you know, to understanding how people make these decisions intelligently and mirroring the process to influence their behavior in a positive way and ethically. But here's my take on objections. If you're still getting objections as a seller, that's a complete reflection on you dealing with them properly and digging in with the what, when, why questions and diagnostic questions. Top performers in, in the selling industry today jump way ahead of the objections by understanding the buyer's situation fully. Wes, why do so many salespeople have so many issues with objections, do you think? I believe there's, there's a few different reasons. I mean, the first one being that they're trained the wrong way. Right. I know myself, I was trained completely the wrong way when I first got started in sales. And it was more about the reactive approach of when you get the objection, here is one of two or three things that you say in order to try to overcome it. 
And that was the whole big idea behind it. Mm-hmm. And what I learned later on, especially now that with our previous episodes where we talked about emotional intelligence, right. I started to pick off early, you know, early on or after that was I need to head this off so that I don't even get it in the first place. And even some of them, I can use them to my advantage. And that's, and I started creating my sales process and my approach completely around it. But that's where I feel like people have a lack of knowledge in that area. So if, if anything, they need to increase their emotional intelligence, understand their sales process, understand their buying time frame, where that customer is at mentally, and start to see how can I plug in the gaps in order to make sure that I'm heading off these objections so that they don't even come up in the first place. Right. I think a lot of the objections come from as well as how well they frame their call. And I've watched you do this effortlessly with clients you've had in the past, even training some sales teams that we've, you know, we have in the past with. But the main thing is when they get on the phone, they go, hey, my name is Chris. You know, I'm here to sell you a product or service. Or they'll leave with some type of benefit or feature of their product and service. They'll say, maybe if they're a little bit more advanced, they'll go, you know, what brought you here today, Wes? But that's too broad of a question. You got to ask a narrow question to get to the core and the root of the problem. And I think that's a lot of times where people go, well, I'll use a boomerang approach, objection chunking or conditional close, curiosity. I mean, deflection. There's a lot of different old objection handling methods and techniques that no longer work in today's marketplace for sure. But the best way to do it is just to break through someone's emotional barriers or emotion to get to their emotional baggage. Tell them the reason why you're calling them. Have a normal conversation. What does that usually sound like? Yeah, that's, that's actually funny that you say that because that's what a lot of people forget to do because we talk a lot about controlling the conversation. And a lot of the times heading off objections comes with controlling it. And so when I get onto a, a call with a client, that's the first thing that I'm going to, I'm, my approach is always going to be very similar, which is going to be, I'm going to get on that call. I'm going to say something like, hey, Chris, I'm glad to have you on the phone today or have you on the call today. What, I'm look, what I'd like to do with you today is blah, blah, blah. So what I'd like to do with you today is understand a lot more about you, exactly what you're looking for. I want to set some expectations around how we're going to work together and what you can also expect from me. And then by the end, my goal is for you to have a lot more clarity moving forward so that you know exactly what you're going to do. And then I also want to leave it up for some questions that you may have at the end so I can get those answered for you. How does that sound? And then I'm going to move forward. That is pretty simple. I mean, a lot of people still don't go that route. Why? A lot of it, again, has to do with their own confidence and their own understanding. And it's the more you control, the less objections you're going to get because you're going to understand what you need to do in order to make them not even come up. But again, that's where emotional intelligence plays in. That's where I would ask you, Chris, how much has emotional intelligence been a part of, especially for you or the people that you've trained, has it been an impact on how you've been able to handle objections? It's the most impactful training or realization when it comes to reflection, to be honest with you, when you're dealing with a sales team or just a sales trainer company, it doesn't matter whatever capacity. I train everybody the same way, Wes, is the way that I deal with you know, prospective students or buyers. First thing I need to do is get to the core and root of any kind of issues that they're having. And that emotional intelligence piece is by far the most important skill. I say it's a skill to develop if you're going to be, you know, a top performer in sales. 
And it doesn't matter what industry, to be honest with you, it could be in IT. If someone's emotional intelligent on your team, they're going to know what the other person needs and they know what's prevented them from reaching a certain level of success. I, a lot of people in back in the day, they would say they didn't know really how to judge and measure emotional intelligence. They would say that guy's got a mouthpiece. He's got some game. Why do you think that people are becoming a little bit more emotionally intelligent in today's marketplace now? It's, there's a lot more skepticism than there ever was before, especially, especially with today's age. I mean, the consumer has so much knowledge before they ever talk to you mm -hmm. that there is a level of skepticism there because especially now let's think about it from a marketing standpoint. So as you know, obviously I do a lot of marketing um, yes. with some of my other businesses and, and I had a client the other day uh, approach me and say, I feel like my market is saturated and I feel like my market is saturated because I'm always seeing a lot of people doing what I'm doing. And this is what I want. This is what I told this person told this client was the reason why you feel that way is because in today's age, you're so targeted and people know so much about you that you only see what's actually important to you and what you care about. What that means, so it translates for, for the client is that they have a lot more knowledge and they're seeing a lot of your competitors before they ever even talk to you, which means that there's a level of skepticism there or there's a level of prove yourself inside mm -hmm. of that. And so that's, and that actually kind of goes back to my question for you as well, Chris, which is and something that I've noticed with you as well. Like somebody could potentially come on, you know, a client, extremely skeptical or, you know, they talk to a certain person, but then they were rude to them. But then they, you get on the phone with them, you know, and, or you have a conversation with them and all of a sudden they're excited, they're ready to go. Right. And what I wanted to, because I know a lot of that, because everything that they were experiencing before is an objection, right? That's what they're feeling. They're feeling certain negativity that's making them even more skeptical. How, what does that process look like for you when you're getting on with somebody like that? And how do you handle it in such a way that allows them that by the end of that phone call, you have complete control and they're excited and ready to go? It's a really good question. And then I don't, not to get so far in depth on the how to, I'm going to kind of explain it in a bigger picture. Should I do that? That might Absolutely. give a little, listeners more of an idea. I never walk into a situation or get into a meeting without knowing who that person is. So a lot of it's pre-call analysis and knowing a story. Maybe you can do it by questionnaires or you're doing it by, you know, just maybe, I don't know, kind of feedback form or whatever you want to do. It could be done by an assistant that usually does help with the positioning and them viewing you as an expert. So I never try to get on a call or a cold call, not knowing enough about the buyer. Back in the day when I was in educational sales, you know, selling for trade schools and you know, developing and honing in on my craft on how to do this properly, I would take their email and put it into Google or I would go into Facebook and just try to pick out some things or that I needed to discover about the buyer before I got on a call because that does help. And you never want to get into a situation where you're picking out something and trying to manipulate and, and agree, but you're doing it in an ethical way of just trying to break through and get to the, get to, get to the real person. It's a human element has to come into play. It's another person just puts their pants on just the same way you do. And I hope that gives a little bit more help before I kind of go into the how-to. Yeah. When I very first get on the phone with someone, Wes, I don't give a shit if they come from, you know, a different part of the world that I'm not really, 
aware of. It doesn't really matter to me. I'm going to get on the phone the same way. Wes, the reason why I gave you a call today, and I've been looking forward to this conversation, I know a little bit of information about you, but it's different when it's coming and I'm hearing it coming out of your mouth. Before I go into some of the questions that I prepared for you, can you tell me a little bit more on what actually led you to getting on a phone with me today? And they're going to tell me everything I need to know to button in. And that's going to help me narrow my questioning with the framework to penetrate all the way deeply because it's never about the product, the service, or t-shirt, is it? No, never. It's, it's never. It's because your products and services will always change. When you're leading with benefits and features, this, that's not about that. Then I usually make that transition. I'll say, Wes, I know that if they say, for instance, they led with, well, what led me to do this? Because I'm looking for this product or this service that you're selling. That's usually where they go with it because they want to talk about why they're here. I don't want to talk about that. What led you to wanting to do that? Why do you want that? Well, I mean, why do you want that particular product or service? Why do you think you need that for? I mean, what is the outcome you want to achieve or hope for if that product and service was available to you? You notice I said if there. Because what I need to do is take it away from them. You no longer have the power or the, you're able to buy that product and service unless you're qualified for that product and service. So I completely take it away. And that's where I don't need to tell people that I'm an expert. Because that value is going to speak through what I'm saying and what I'm not saying to them. Think about it for um, a, a salesperson that isn't as emotional and intelligent. They're going to go into products and services to talk about that shit. I don't really care. I want to talk to that person. What led you here? Why do you want to do this? Does that outcome that you're searching for put you in the future where you want to be in 30, 60, 90 days, six months, one year down the road? And here's where I drive it really home. Are there any potential concerns or fears or frustrations that could possibly prevent you from succeeding with the product and service you're searching for? Like, and they'll go, well, I, I, I don't know. And if you're asking her what, when, why, how questions, you're going to penetrate to the core and the root of the problem. And you're going to see the problem for yourself, but you're not going to tell them that's the problem. That's where a lot of salespeople fail is they try to tell them that's your problem. Wes, if I had a conversation with you and say, for instance, you never met me. And I said, here's your problem, Wes. What is that going to do to you? I'm going to get defensive. As Completely. A with yeah. No one wants to be humiliated on the phone or in face-to-face. -face. There's your problem. Here's, what, here's the issue that I see with some of the things that you've actually done in the past, Wes. See, I framed it. Yeah. Here's where I'm seeing it. So here's where my next level is driving it home a little bit better. Because it's not about me understanding the problem. It's about how do I communicate it for them to see the problem and know it's a problem and potentially holding them back. Like I know I learned a, quite a lot from me asking you these questions, especially about your patterns of behavior. What do you think? And let me ask you a question, Mr. and Mrs. Prospect. What did you learn from me asking you these questions? Anything new? Tell me what jumps out to you the most. And that's where you need to say something new. That, that, that's a completely different approach than a lot of people trying to sell a product and service. I hope that makes sense. I know it's a little bit long-winded answer, but I wanted to frame it properly to give a better idea on how to approach that properly. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, that's the one thing that I, that I noticed is a lot of it comes from your confidence 
and your ability to be able to, I guess, for a lack of a better term, hold your own on that phone call and take control of that entire phone call. But you're building your credibility, not through telling them why you're credible, but right. through your questions, through how you're framing your questions. And then, but that's where, you know, I'm glad that you also went into the fact that, that you, you don't just come out in front and tell them what it is. Mm. You come out and you, you want to be able for them to see it for themselves. Would you be able to shed maybe a little bit more light on that is how right. can you get someone to start to see it more for themselves? And what does that process potentially look like? A lot of times, you know, you can do it in a lot of different ways. Maybe having them jot some notes down. That's one of the things that I usually say to people when they get on a call. Make sure you have a pen and piece of paper to something to write with. Because for the things that I'm going to have you write down, and, it's, and I'll go into why, that might be impactful for you to reflect back on after the call. Because it, that window of follow-up, after they get off the call, they're usually going to forget. 90% of what you said, if you didn't have them write it down, but I'm only going to have them write down positive things. And that's the re-anchoring effect that you could have. Yeah. Because, so say for instance, let me ask the question again. I'll go, what did you learn? Anything new? Like, tell me what jumps out to you the most, what we talked about today. And if they don't say they learned anything, Wes, here's when I take that and go down to the, all the way to the core. And I want them to feel it. And this is where a lot of salespeople don't understand how to use pauses. Like I will use pause, pauses in my approach and the way that I'm delivering it, my, especially my tonality, because I want them to feel that pain. Because it, it, that causes tension, does it not? Yeah. Complete tension. And a lot of salespeople, they don't know how to overcome it because they're not emotionally intelligent enough. I'm like, okay, I mentioned to you that I did learn a lot about me asking you these questions. Would you like me to share with you some of the things that I discovered and I learned about your old patterns of behavior? And notice I said old patterns. Why do you think I said old patterns? Because you want them to start viewing it as something they're going to shed. Exactly. It's just like a snake. You got to shed yeah. a skin. You got to get them to the point to where they need to understand this is holding them back. This is really going to hurt you. What I'm trying to teach you, Wes, or what I'm trying to teach people or training or maybe that person individual on a call i'm trying to help them understand that i'm trying to give them something worth of value that's not going to help them not just right now it's going to help them long term and this is where i develop my value and turn into you know a buyer into a lifelong client and that's you you completely cut out buyer remorse at that at yeah. that point. I mean, because that's, that's what i'm trying that's my main objective when i get on a call with them is i'm trying to establish a relationship yeah. And the only way to do that is to trust. Trust is a foundation. And that's something that I see you do very well. Not just establish trust, but you actually tell them the layers of a foundation that of, you know, of what we're going to be doing with this buying process or the selling process. Can you shed some light on that with some of the listeners? I think that's, I think we're getting to a real foundation, but can you talk about the, how you're able to lay our foundation for them to see it? Yeah, absolutely. That's actually a great question. So, um, and obviously I'll tie it all back in obviously to, to handling objections as well. And mm. so, because this, this, everything we're talking about here plays such a huge role in that. Yes. That's, this is what makes up the, this is how you start to head off these objections. So for me, the way, the way I view a client, I'm not, you know, there's some people that are, it's almost like they're ob oblivious to the fact that they, the person talking to them does have a true interest. Mm -hmm. They're talking to you because they have an interest. The objections 
they come from one of two things. They either, they come from something that you trigger or something that the client themselves trigger. And based off of their experiences, their past, whatever it may be, they're the ones that are going to trigger it. And so for me, when I get a client on the phone, I'm going to set the expectation properly in the beginning. And so I'm not going to give them too much because if I give you too much right at the beginning, it's going to overwhelm you. Yes. So I, I layer it. So this is something that I talk about a lot, especially with handling objections. For whatever the commitment level of whatever it is that they're going to invest with you, you need to allocate a certain amount of time, calls, meetings, whatever it needs to be, to be able to handle every layer that, that needs to be there, every commitment layer to get to the end result. Right. And so the first call is just setting expectations. And so again, going back to exactly how I phrased it earlier, I'm going to set the expectations of what we're going to do together and what we're looking for. Now I'm going to pre-frame some of the things that may be objection points for them. So things like potentially money. And so if I know that they may potentially have objections around money, on my first call, I'm going to establish the fact that here, I am here as an expert to help you around how to budget properly for the next moves that you're going to make now and in the future. And on the next few calls that we have, I will break that down into further detail with you. But just know that this is something that we, would, we will be doing together because, and I'll ask a question, do you, do you feel that you, a, lot, a lot of times you have anxiety around how to budget properly for X, Y, and Z? Yes. Okay. That's why it's important for me to help you throughout this process, but we need to take it one step at a time. And us taking it one step at a time is going to alleviate a lot of that stress off of you. And then for me here, as for me here, helping you throughout this process, my goal is to alleviate a lot of that anxiety for you so that you can focus on the bigger picture and where you're trying to go. How does that sound? It's beautiful. And so I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to downplay whatever it is that potentially is the objection point and the investment that's going to be happening in the future. And so I'm starting to think about it already. So that's the first layer. And that's the first part of that foundation. Now we've established a whole lot of trust and credibility there because now that's how you're viewing me. You're viewing me as a person who's going to come alleviate your problems. Mm -hmm. And then, the, so, and then I'm going again, but then I'm going to gauge the next, how many, how many calls or meetings does it take for me to get this person to the point to where they are ready to commit? Right. And then that's, that's how I'm going to break down every single call. There's a couple of things you said in there and I want to shine a light on it real quick and I, I make sure I put a pin on this and I hope the listeners are really grasping what Wes just shared with you. There's a couple of things you said in there that are very important for maybe a younger salesperson or anybody in sales. You kept saying together, we'll do this together. When was the last time you went to an emergency room? A couple of years ago. Were you in pain? Yeah. How severe was your pain when you got there? What, that's what pushed you to go to the emergency room, correct? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was pretty bad. Pretty bad. Yeah. When you got there and you realized that, you know, there was a trust level and you realized that they were there to help you and they weren't a threat. What happened to that pain? Yeah. It started to subside more. Okay. So it subsides. Okay. Perfect. I had a knee surgery. When I had that knee surgery, I had an unfortunate situation where I had an infection in my knee. So they kept me in the hospital longer. When that happened, you know, of course they give you the morphine things, whatever it is, yeah. little, but it, it's a trigger. It's a certain level on it. Where you can't get any more morphine, but I was in, I was in severe pain and I'm pushing this thing. And of course me back in the day is probably, I don't know, five years ago or so. 
I, I started developing relationships with the nurses and the people there. And I knew it was one shift that this one lady would always help me because I had an emotional connection with her. Like we had a rapport level was high, but I was in severe pain pushing the button and hit the button with the nurse thing. And when, right when she hit that door and I realized that she was, that she was the person, the pain started going away. How much do you think that plays into when the buyer gets on the phone with you? That once they're there to realize and once they understand that you're there to help them and you're going to do it together, how much do you think that they don't really feel that objection and the pain or whatever, that anxiety level? That's, that's the exact relationship that you need to build because so much of it's the intensity of those objections right. and that lack of trust comes from them and, and because they feel like they're alone, right? It's a battle back and forth. But when you go and sit on the other side of that table with them and say, this is us together now, they feel like, okay, now I have somebody with me. Yep. It's, not, it's not as big as I thought it was. And that is a huge role because, and that goes back to also something that I talk about a lot, which is what's called, I call controlled overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And what I'll do is I'll, and not, this isn't a manipulation tactic by any means, but again, I'm trying to build exactly what we're talking about right here, which is that type of a relationship, which is I will lay out exactly what the path needs to look like. And that's why I do it. I lay out the path of what it needs to look like because the path itself will sound more complex and a yes. bit more overwhelming. And it will give them just a little bit of anxiety, just a, a little bit of anxiety of, of what they're going to have to do. But then that's why you're priming the objection. You're priming right. it. Exactly. And, and what you're doing also is you, what you are shifting their focus from that objection that's in the back of their mind that's holding them back to a bigger picture and maybe some, a bigger obstacle, right? So it's kind of like David versus Goliath, right? So it's like, if you are struggling over here with this small problem, and then I tell you, you got to go face Goliath. Well, now that small problem isn't as big <laughs> right. to you anymore, right? Right. And so if I, can, if I can implement or deploy a little bit of that overwhelm and give you a bigger enemy, essentially, or a bigger objective, it doesn't have to be an enemy, or a bigger objective that you have to go after that causes you a little bit more anxiety or a little bit more overwhelm. And now, but then where I insert myself in is the person that will alleviate. I'm the morphine, right? In this right exactly. In, back in your, in your example, I'm the morphine because I'm going to alleviate the, the pain for you. And I'm the nurse because when you view me, now I am, you know, you, you automatically, your amount of anxiety goes down. And I'm also, in your mind, going to be the morphine that's going to allow you to be able to have completely no pain, no anxiety going through this process. So mm -hmm. now it's, a, it's a, a little bit of a, well, the relationship now is that you need me. Right? Yep. And that's, if, especially if I'm selling something at a much higher level and that's a huge investment, I need you to feel like you need me because that's how I can, again, going back to it, this is where I can control that relationship. So it's not just controlling the call. It's controlling that entire relationship. Let's keep this analogy just to make sure that it's going to drive home with the listeners. So say for instance, and this is where a lot of people may be missing the point. It's not about you, them knowing that you're just there, there to help them. You're going to have to really prove it because say for instance, hypothetically speaking, that nurse comes in my room and I need morphine. She still needs to clarify the objection or the problem, doesn't she? Right. So how do you do that as a seller? Think about it. So you still need to, don't be deceived, but what appears or what they're telling you is the problem or the issue. It, this is not a simple step. 
This is where it takes a lot of emotional intelligence. Clarification can be a challenge because it requires you to think quickly on your feet. I mean, still the most important step, you know, on this process is to get to the real objection. Sometimes they don't know what the real problem is. Oh, my, my, my knee hurts. Well, it could have been that I have something laying on my leg and they maybe not feel it because they're, they have the morphine and the drugs there, but they, they don't realize that like I stabbed myself with something in my leg. You know, it could be anything. So that's yeah. why it's important for you to come, still come with the buyer and get in the other side of that table or if you're on a call, develop that layer and that foundation of trust and like, listen, I really don't think it's the drugs. I really don't think it's the morphine. I really don't think this is the problem. Then that's where you're going to discover the core and root of that potential problem with your buyer. And when you remove that and you go, wait a minute, I'm looking at it in a different frame in a different lens, you're reframing. And I'm going to reframe that objection because sometimes it's not about overcoming or handling objections. I'm going to deal with it with you and realize this is not as bad as you think. And that's where you're not trying to downplay it completely. It's a real objection, but a lot of things that I've learned in my past and I realized that life wasn't happening to me, it was happening for me. I use that objection and I use the old thing that I overcome before and I use it as my motivation. And I'm going to draw from that motivation as much as I need to, to be able sometimes to prepare me for Like, so talk to, talk to the listeners a little bit about that and explain that for them. How is, why is that so much important? Did not just to try to teach them to ignore that problem, ignore the objection, but to be able to draw from that motivation and push them forward. Absolutely. It's, it's again, it's either masking the problem or having the cure. Right? And what a lot of people will do is it's like giving you Tylenol, right? I'm trying to max the, I don't know how we got into the medical talk, but, I, but it's, it's a, it's a, I think it's, I think it's, you know, I think it's important because it's really that simple. Right. Well, and it really is because here's the thing, a lot of salespeople, and again, this goes back to their own confidence level. And, and how they view certain situations and their own limiting beliefs. But I may be too scared to bring out the problem because I don't know how I'm going to handle it as the seller. And that's a real issue because some people will open up a can of worms and not know how to, how to deal with like, it or yeah, fix it. Like open up Pandora's box, like I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. I got this lady crying. I got this guy crying. Right, exactly. And again, so then what you're trying to do is you're trying to stay at the surface level so you can mask the pain. But mm -hmm. what happens as we know when the commitment level of the investment they're going to make with you or whatever the outcome is that they're going to have with you, the bigger that commitment, the, the more deep you have to go in, the deeper you have to go in with that person, the more you have to open up those cans of worms and then solve the problem. And so the, you have to, and, and, but you have to, the, where it first starts is the foundation like you talked about before, Chris. You got to build the relationship that first allows you to do that. And that relationship is built off of trust, authority, and credibility and then to in a mutual agreement, and this is why together is so important, in a mutual agreement, we have to first decide that we were going to do whatever it takes to get to that outcome. Mm -hmm. And now we can start going through it together. And from there, I need to heighten the pain. If there's a pain there, I need to heighten that pain for that person a little bit. And I will dig deeper into that pain because I need them to start seeing that that pain really is not going to affect them the way that they're, that they're thinking or it's something that they need to o overcome in order for them to get to where they need to go. That's why I don't care about objections. I don't think about, I never once go into a call thinking somebody's going to tell me I don't have the money or I need to talk to my spouse or all these surface level objections 
that people think are objections. I go in to solve. I need to solve what exactly it is I, that is needed for that person to go from where they are today to where they want to go. And then I can start mapping out my process that will allow me to give them everything that they need. So if I know someone's going to have a problem, if, like, if you know somebody may have a problem with money and you're at point A and you ask for, this, for the investment or the sale, well, you just triggered the objection. Completely. But if I know, right. And if I know that, the, like, this is why you got to give yourself also the time. And like you said before, pre-call plan. If I know that that's what's going to happen, then I can plan on potentially at point five, you know, or point C or whatever, however you want to call it. That's where I'm going to ask for the investment. And now from point A to point C, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create certain scenarios. I'm going to have certain conversations with this person to start overcoming and finding the root cause of why they feel the way they do solve that before I ever even get to asking the money. In asking for the money, you should never ask for the money until you knock down every potential objection that they can run to and understanding right. emotional patterns of behavior with your buyers is only going to allow you to make that happen and becoming more emotional intelligent because you're really going to get to a real objection right up front. Maybe it's embarrassing for them. Maybe they feel it's too personal to share with you, or maybe it's because they don't think it's important, but you as a seller discover it and go, I really don't want to talk about this with that buyer because it's going to ruin the buying time frame, or they don't know how to deal with it because it's a confidence level. Wes, I've been in sales a long time. So have you. And there's not too many objections that I haven't heard. I mean, I even started it, you know, way back in the day, naming my objections a person because of how I was helped them overcome it. And that's where a lot of sellers have issues with always trying to agree because they don't want to deal with the can of worms or open up Pandora's box and go, oh shit, it's going to ruin the sale. I can't say this to them, but I can still make the sale because they do have the financial means to make it happen. But this is where I don't get a lot of buyer remorse. I'm still going to help them deal with it. And I'm going to take that buy product or service or t-shirt and remove it out of that, the issue. It's no longer the issue. That's not what you're after right now. What we're after is I'm trying to turn you into the buyer that can position himself with that product or service and use it effectively. So I need to re-anchor all these emotions that you're having for you to, for you to feel like, okay, I can handle this on my own now because Chris taught me this. And I try to explain so much of the process even after they leave me, Wes, is that when that does happen, it's not going to trigger anything. Even if when it does trigger, Chris told me about this and you're providing so much clarity, they can actually visualize the steps they need to take to be successful. You notice I said, steps they need to take to be successful. And I didn't say the steps that we need to take. It's no longer my issue. I taught you something. You can deal with this on your own. It's like literally, I put it this way. If you're a buyer, I'm going to, I'm going to try to penetrate so deep into your emotional baggage and try to expose the real core root of your problems that I'm going to take, my, take your brain out, put it on a table, and then take my brain and put it in your head. And then I'm going to teach you how to operate the things that you're working with, with my brain. Then I'm going to, as I'm having you try out the new system or try out the new things that you need to do, I'm rewiring your brain yeah. <laughs> of showing you why it works so well. Then I'm going to take my brain back out, put it back on my head and then take that your brain, your old patterns and behaviors and issues and limiting beliefs and all this self-sabotage you've done to yourself over the years and put it back in your head. And then you're going to go, wait a minute, I got it. 
I think I can figure it out on my own, Chris. I'm like, I know exactly. And they run off. Yeah, absolutely. You're changing who the person is. Yes. So you're, you're changing who they are to where they're the person that will just go in and even invest into product and service on their own because that's just who they are at this point. Self-persuasion. So it's the highest yeah. level of persuasion you can have. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, going maybe a little bit deeper on that as well, what are some ways when it comes to self-persuasion, what are some of the ways that you just, and not necessarily the how-tos, but just your thought process around how you go about that? Notepad. Notepad and pen. This is what I usually do. Every call, and I don't know where I learned this. I think it's because I'm dyslexic and I can't read that well, right? <laughs> is that when someone says something to me, I'm writing it down. And usually when I'm writing it down, it, see, when you notice what I'm telling a buyer, and I mentioned to it earlier and I alluded to it, the fact that I only write, have them write down positive things. And here's why. Yeah. I'm writing down negative things on my paper. And what I'm going to try to do is I'm trying to pick, figure out, okay, this is the issue. This might be an issue. This might be an issue. And I'm going to reflect back on these notes later when I get off call. But when I start to tie this all back in, I'm like, ah, now I see the issue. How can I connect the dots for them to see it's an issue? And the only way to do that is to create an environment where they feel like they're not being judged. Because if they feel like they're being judged, it's going <laughs> to, there's a certain layer of a wall they're not going to penetrate through. And that's why I, I try to ask a lot of tie down questions. So where, if, if I was able to teach you a different way of going about that problem, what would you say to me? Well, I would say this, okay? So what do you think might be the issue of you following through to attack that problem or combat that problem if I did teach you this solution? And they'll tell me, okay, right? I said, okay, I'm gonna write that down now. So I write it down, then I'm gonna look at them and say, all right, I know exactly how to help you, but it's not gonna be as impactful unless I'm able to shine a light on a couple of things. And this might take a little bit more time than you're actually thinking, but just give me two or three minutes. Do you have two, two to three minutes extra? Because I think this is important. Don't you? Yes, I do. Okay. Now they're excited. I'm going to write and have them write down the positive reaction from their negative reaction and about how much of an impact it will happen in their life. If they're able to make this shift on their own, it's not about you solving their problems. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. It's not my problem to have. It's not my problem. It's their problem. This is where a lot of salespeople, they, they, they talk too damn much. They're always, they're, they're asking logical based questions and then they don't tie enough emotion to it. You dig in deep and figure out their emotional patterns of behavior. And then that's when you tie in the logic. I do it backwards. I hope that helps with the question. Yeah. And then and a lot of, one little, one little quick thing. And this is where they, they expose the real problem and they're not getting the problem. And this is where they start being a little bit more confrontational, Wes. Yeah. Like, why are they not seeing it's the problem and they get impatient? You don't need to solve that problem right then or overcome that objection, you just need to identify that's what's the problem or that's the objection. So, and I know this, and I know this, it sounds ironic a little bit because, you know, you get to a certain, 
buying process. And before I get them to the next phase, I can't even come in with the money issue or coming in with the clothes. Like I'll tell you when it's the right time for, I think that you should enroll it or, you know, get to this thing. I'm going to turn you into the person that can make that happen. I hope that makes sense. It does. It does. So my question there is then how, how much of your process involves discovery or at what point do you also feel like, I guess it's a two-sided question. At what point do you feel like you've gotten enough to be able to know exactly what you need to do with this person? Or is it a never ending thing? It's a never, I'm, I'm always discovering something with the buyer. It's never like, you know, you have certain people that always want to discover right at the beginning and they misdiagnosed the problem. That's malpractice. Just to go back into the medical side of it. It's malpractice. You're doing them a disservice. That's the way I look at it. I'm failing my buyer if I misdiagnose your problem. So I'm always going to be discovering all the way throughout the sales process. When I feel that they can actually achieve the goal with the product or service or good, then that's when I usually re-clarify the steps they need to take on their own to see if they're ready for it. Because even if I feel that they're ready to buy, it's not about buying, right? Right. Even if I feel like they can achieve it, I need to prove it. And that's the tie down piece that I was talking about. Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, I think we've gotten to the point of our sales process, the point of your journey, where it's time for us to start talking about the next steps afterwards. If it's okay for you, can we take five to seven minutes to walk through the plan of action and also the cost of inaction of you not taking action at this time? Can we do that? And they're like, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Now I'm, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm shining a light and I'm saying, hey, you're going to have to prove it to me now. So now they're really going to be on point, aren't they? Yeah. Well, let's see what you learned during this journey. Can you walk me through the steps you need to take or course of action to make this work out for you? And they'll walk me through it. And if they get close, then I know I'm closer with them. And I'll go, okay, here's one thing you missed out on, blah, blah, blah. But here's how to get over it. Write that down, blah, blah, blah. See, I wrote down negative. They wrote down positive. Does that make sense? Then I go to start tying it all back in. So say, for instance, if I was able to recommend this product or service are good for you at this time, what would you say to me? I didn't say I was going to do it. I said, if, but I'm pretty much saying I'm going to recommend them. But what would be the issue that you would have at this time without taking action? There's your cost of an action piece. So here's what's going to happen if you don't take action today. And I'm going to take, I'm going to keep taking it away from them. And that discovery, that's what I'm talking about. The discovery process. It isn't just one phase of the buying time frame. It's every piece. Yeah, so absolutely. That's, that's something that I see you do well with. Is it you like to recap a lot with your buyer? Why is recapping going through what they've already accomplished? Is it just because of the fact that you want them to see how far they've come in this journey? Yeah, it's, it's strategic recapping, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's the reason why is it, it solves two things for me. One, it's a temp check, just exactly how you mentioned there. It tells me exactly where they are and how far they've come. The other reason is that if there's 
depending on what my next step is, because I'm always thinking about my next move when I'm having that conversation. Yep. Whatever the commitment of the next move is going to be, my recap with them has to be around where they are at that point that's going to tell me that they're ready for that next move. And also, it's going to pre-frame the next move that, that we're about, yep. to, about to do and talk about. And so I will, and also what I'll do is I'll say things multiple times in, in many different ways, but I'm always strategically trying to keep a very specific thought in their mind mm-hmm. and a place where they are currently in their journey to get them to the next step. Because I'm never thinking about, and this goes back, and actually that was my question for you, but the, this goes back to even my recommendation process. My recommendation process isn't about what we're about to do right now. It's about what we're looking to do in the future yep. and what needs to happen now to keep a us going. Future pace. You got a future pace. And that future pacing, they need to understand why you're giving this recommendation. And once they kind of see it for what that is, that's going to be such a rapport building type of understanding uh, that connection is so high Wes they literally what you're doing it's like an outer body experience it's kind of the only way that I can probably explain it with your buyers because I've had people come to me Wes and go I they had so many issues with money and that was a big objection for them and then once they realize that money isn't an issue it's just a relationship with money they go and they never wanted to potentially look into a funding resource or whatever that is. And you're always going to get this. And what they're yeah. telling you is they don't trust you enough to be able to expose themselves financially. That's the real problem. And once you get them to the point, they realize, okay, Hey, I, I trust Chris. I know he knows what he needs to do. I know that he's helped hundreds of thousands of people before. Then they're going to go, all right, they'll go through the buying process. They'll go to the, they'll realize that they need to, you know, go into the funding resources, the financial resources, and that level of trust is there. And they'll come to me and go, Chris, I have over 200K in funding. Here, here's what do you want me to do with it? We got to realize four calls previous, there was no way in hell they would look into resources for financial stuff, would they? No. Because it's, it's, it's I take the time with people to get to know the person first before I figure out the product and service. Yeah. And that's a key point. Mm-hmm. I really believe that's a, that's a key point because that's, you know, again, it goes back to the salesperson who's afraid of opening up that can of worms, right? Or is, is afraid to talk about a certain subject because they always feel like, okay, if, if I say this, they might, it might trigger them to say this or it might trigger them to run away from the sale because they're always thinking about the sale, right? But when I talk to somebody, even so like to talk about the financial piece, when I talk to someone about the financial piece, I don't just talk about the positives of funding yourself properly. I talk about the negative impacts of not doing it. I also talk about when you are doing it, what's the risk? How do you mitigate the risk? How do we ensure right. that we're setting you up properly so that it's not because it's not just about what you're about to do today. It's about setting you up for the future as well. I'm not afraid to talk about those things because those are real things that I'm helping this person with. But there's a level of authenticity there because I'm going yes. you know, deeper into it. I just wrote that down when you were talking. <laughs> I just wrote that down because that's where, and I think probably a lot of listeners are thinking, if they're listening all the way to the end of this, and they're probably thinking to themselves, well, damn, this can't even take a lot of time. Where do I talk about my product service? You never talk about your product and service. You never talk about it. I don't talk about product and services. Sometimes I don't even know what the hell I'm selling, Wes. Yeah. 
I'm retraining their mind of knowing, hey, that could be the product and service that can help me, but that's a stepping stone for me to get to where I want to accomplish because I was, Chris was able to explain and communicate that that can help me get to my outcome that I'm really looking for because sometimes it's they don't even see over the horizon that this right. could be something that, okay, this is just a, a, a mini step. I thought this was going to be the huge step for me. This, to, for me to be able to turn myself into the person that it can achieve this goal, I need to work on these things with Chris. Here's the thing. And it's not about the objection. It's understanding the two types of objections as well. The first one's misunderstanding. How much do you think a salesperson misunderstands the objection? 98% of the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, that proves the, proves the whole 98 and 2% thing because 98% of the world is controlled by 2% of the people that understand that that's the world's wealth. Yeah. Because people overlook this, misunderstand like, oh, wouldn't life be grand, Wes, if all objections were misunderstandings? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> if we make it easy, but a misunderstanding objection means that the person that you're communicating with has misunderstood something you said. So they need, so you need to clear it up. And the only way to do that is have a level of trust, sprinkle a little bit of rapport <laughs> level, and then come in and, and figuring out what is really the problem. Yeah. And the solution much? is very simple sometimes, Wes, but I'll even as a, but you got to remove the element of, of risk there. Yeah. They got to feel safe. Absolutely. And that's where that's, and that takes me to my question for you is how important is intention when it comes to that relationship you have with your, it's everything. Mind? It's everything because it's not, a, I don't give a shit if the product or service is the best in the world. The world's evolving Wes, especially right now with this pandemic coming on. Like and now we started to call off and we make jokes about it. I've been built for this pandemic for seven years ago. I've been working on my own. I've been in my own isolation for the last seven years, but sometimes your isolation can be the best thing, could be your gift. You're away from all the toxic influence you have outside the world. This is the most important time. It's an exciting time in the world today because I've been self-isolating myself for years. I, I get to the point sometimes, Wes, I go out in, in public and I don't even want to communicate with outside world because it, they don't have this, the right intention that I have in my life. So intention is everything. Yep. You never judge someone by their actions or the things they say. You judge them by their intentions. Why do they say that? Why did they do that? Like, I, I don't know. I was watching a, a stand-up comedy show the other day. I need to laugh. So I was watching David Chappelle. David Chappelle does this effortlessly. It, he talked about that. <laughs> and I don't want, I don't want to take away from the call because this is really funny, but he was like, he goes, I get to the point to where I look deeper than someone's playing a victim. Like he goes, Michael Jackson has been dead for 10 years and he's got three new indictments. And he was like, he was like, well, he raped these little boys and I'm, please don't take, and I hope the listeners aren't going to take what I'm about to say. And this, the comedy show I was watching. I'm just telling you what he said, not my views. He was like, he was like, well, what was a little boy wearing? <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Like you always want to dig deeper and understanding if someone's playing a victim, yeah. this is where my competitive advantage comes in. And, and I know that I made a joke with it with the David Chappelle thing, but really what I'm talking about is when someone's playing a victim worse, I don't deal with that shit. Well, yeah, because that's my competitive advantage because of what I've overcome and all the things that, 
and all the methods and techniques that I learned on how to uncover and how to overcome things and push through pain. When someone's playing a victim and they don't realize that they have all the mechanics and all the skills and all the things that they need to already to be able to live the life of their dreams, I will not accept the less and the best for myself from any day. And I won't either from anybody I'm talking to, but I got to get them ready for that. Yeah. Why is that important with your competitive advantage? Uh, that, well, that's, that's an extremely important piece because who you are reflects your outcome. Yep. Because again, it, it goes back into everything. And, and this, we can talk about this for days, but it goes back to your intention. It goes back to your confidence. Yep. All of that is going to play a role in what scenarios transpire and how your communication, conversations, relationship you build with your, with your buyers go. And so for, for you, Chris, any, for the advice for any salespeople that are watching this or listening to this, what advice would you give them about how they need to develop themselves in order to be the person that's equipped to be able to equip the person that they're talking to? So take a lot of courage. You got to choose courage over comfort completely. I read a book, um, Brene Brown, you know, if you've ever heard of her, she talked about being vulnerable. And most people know this about me. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, I try to read three to five books a month because not all readers are leaders, but leaders are readers. You got you to gotta find a way to gain more knowledge. That's the biggest piece of advice I can give anybody. And it's not really looking for knowledge and taking their knowledge and trying to apply it to a real life issue. It doesn't work. You got to make that solution or that knowledge Make it your own because what works for you, Wes, is not going to work for me fully, is it? No. What works for me isn't going to work for you completely, is it? Nope. You're a different person, okay? Well, that's how I look at a buyer. There's never a one-size-fit-all solution to their problem. And this is where it's going to take a lot of finesse and a lot of probably people are probably thinking, damn, this is going to take so much time. How the hell are they going to be able to do it? I don't, Wes, I can break through someone's emotional barriers and get to their baggage pretty quickly. It would take me probably about two minutes to really get to know that person. Because what they're going to tell me, I probably haven't heard before. I mean, it's not going to be something that's mind-blowing to me. And usually when people, it's my, it's my confidence level as well. So it's gaining more knowledge to answer your question taking that knowledge and how to apply it to what you're working on in your approach and how to really hone in on your craft and develop a, a massive amount of skill set and value. And from that, you'll develop your confidence. Because it's not about how I say things and my tonality. It's my confidence level going, yep, I see the problem, but I'm not going to tell you yet. Yeah. Yep. I know exactly what to do with you. How many times have you heard me say that to salespeople? Yeah. A ton, a ton. And that's, you know, to, to go off of that a little bit, because that, you know, for the listeners and also for my own curiosity, you mentioned that you, the, time, the time frame that it takes you to get to know somebody and understand the root of their problem, you shorten that obviously a lot over time because of yeah. your experience and knowledge. And have you, are you able to shorten the time frame of how, I guess, quickly you can equip or re retrain the the buyer in the way in which you want them to. So I hope that question makes sense to no, shorten the time frame. To I'm excited to answer it. 
I'm excited to answer this question because I, just like when you're working with a buyer, until they see they can actually accomplish it, then that product or service is not going to, there's no connection, an emotional connection to it. Went to a, a Tony Robbins event. <laughs> I think it was seven years ago now. I think it's about seven years, maybe, maybe six, I don't know. And I watched him do it. And, and people, you don't need to go to an event to actually watch it. If you go to Netflix, you can see him do it with Unleash the Power Within. Okay. So he takes questions from people in the audience. His team doesn't really tell them the issue completely. Okay. I watched him have someone stand up, introducing themselves. They see him as a god pretty much because they're at the event, right? So there's a level of expertise there. Yeah. And I watched him be able to penetrate to the core and the root of the problem that's going to be more impactful for them than it's anything that's life-changing, game-changing. You're going to have a breakthrough because his objective is not to sell his data destiny or the next program or product or service. He wants to have a breakthrough with them. Yeah. He wants to have them experience a breakthrough. So let's put a pin on that real quick. When I seen that outside, like out of body, it was like out of body experience for me. When I watched him do that with not just one person, two people, three people, four people, it got to the point where he's walking down a thing where I was, I was close to. And by the way, he is just as tall as everyone believes he is. <laughs> you ever yeah. seen him in person? He is huge. He gets down. I got scared. I was like, I hope he don't call on me because I really don't want him to tear me up in front of all these people. Because there's yeah. a lot of emotional stuff that I had going on. And most people probably don't know this. I've had a lot of traumatic experiences in my life. With the man you see today, it's not the person, you know, the, 15 years ago. There's a lot of people that I grew up with back probably home, Charleston, South Carolina. They recognize me as in physically, but I'm not the same person. Because I've, I made a decision because I, want, I saw this happen. I was like, I want to do that with people. That's where my shift focused from being a top performer. And I watched my, my results. Oh, man. It, they went from, you know, me hitting a seven-figure level and me getting to a multi-eight-figure type of level and selling the same stuff. Because I, what I was doing with people, Wes, I wasn't trying to get them to buy and, you know, have an increased overall experience or get them to do, do a lot of different things or recommend their referrals to me. Or I wasn't trying to do that anymore. I was like, I want to help them have a breakthrough. What are the chances of them people staying, sticking around me forever? I mean, I've watched it over the years. It's a high level of loyalty there. And they can do, they'll do anything I ask them to do, but I'll never do anything morally and ethical with them because it's not, it's, that's my intention. My intention yeah. is always going to live by a core value that affects everybody else around me. It's, it's, it's like the energy level. It's, it's, it's infectious. But when your intention is pure, like pure as gold, like it's like I would literally would jump in front of a bullet for these, some of these people because I want to make sure they understand I, I know you can achieve this. That's the worst thing to ever see is like wasted talent. Yeah. It, it, it makes me sick. Like watching someone that has all the talent in the world, but talent's not going to get you anywhere. What's going to get you there is understanding, okay, here's my talent. 
But how can I transform that talent into a skill set that's a high income skill where you can literally accomplish anything you want in life? Anything you want in life. You can have anything you want. You just got to be able to understand that you can accomplish it. And that's where that self violation stuff can really come into play with people. Yeah. And I mean, like, what are you, so are you growing, are you, are you going through it or are you growing from it? Ask yourself yeah. that question. How can you grow from this situation? How can you grow from listening to this episode of this podcast? How can you grow from it? What can you do with it? Like I can give you all the books in the world I read, Wes. Are you going to have the same results? Yeah. Absolutely. No, because it's execution, right? Right. Yeah. And that, you know, and that's, that's a curious thing. And this is, um, because going back to, to the Tony Robbins example, mm-hmm. and from what you just said right now as well, you know, you mentioned that when he comes on stage, you already view him as a God, right? <laughs> and so that it's, it's already there. So they view him that way. So how much does their intention that, which is the client or the prospect, how much is, I guess, where they are. So oh, two questions here. So I'm gonna try to keep it as clear That's as fine. I can. How, how important is the way that they view you, um, you know, impact that relationship as well as their own commitment to changing themselves? They understand my intentions pure. They understand same way with Tony. They understand it, why Tony's on the stage, not, not because he's on stage. Yeah. I mean, they purchased a ticket to go there, right? Right. Something, I mean, maybe a lot of those people don't even know who really Tony Robbins is. Maybe it's a friend they actually bought a ticket for or whatnot. What and it was a really weird experience. When I went there, it was like a rave, bro. It was like people were jumping up and down, screaming. It's like a peak state type of thing. And it was like, ah. Yeah. And it's a little overwhelming because I'm not, that, I'm not an easily influenced type of individual. So I, I'm just not. So everyone's bouncing up and down and whatnot and having a great time. But then to get back to your question, if you, everybody is there and everybody's trusting and slowly over time, they're starting to realize that Tony's deeper than just jumping around and having a good time. Yeah. There's something about this guy and it all comes from him being able to mirror match, understand the emotional intelligence, understanding the how to, this guy's got over 30, probably in, in, I hope if he's listening to this, I really want to, I did, we did meet at one point, but we didn't have a conversation. So <laughs> you've helped me tremendously in my life and it's led me and it has exposed my purpose in life and actually re- solidified everything I was thinking for years that I knew that I would make more of an impact with people, you know, not selling, but make more of an impact with people. If I have, if I took the time to gain more knowledge and being able to understand what was really their problems, Wes. And that's going to help you stand out from everybody else in, in your competition. Because it doesn't matter what I was selling, Wes. I, I went from, you know, selling at a very high level back then, from transforming myself into another version of myself. Because I was willing and open because I saw it happen. I'm like, but, but the whole thing with that, that event, a lot of people are probably sitting there and they don't see the method behind the madness. Yeah. I saw it. I knew exactly what he did. I knew exactly how he did it. But the only way he's able to do it is he's doing it morally and ethically. So yeah. 
that goes with perception, goes with your intention. It goes back to what we've been talking about for the last probably, I don't know how long, is that you need to confirm everything and then go back to your drawing board and ask yourself, here are the objections I usually get. How do you feel about those objections? Why do you feel these way about your objections? And then you can start digging into the core levels of maybe it's your approach that the reason why that you keep running into this freaking objection. People get in the way of their own sales and they get in the way of their own success, same way as a buyer. So if you're listening to this, take some time and reflect on, okay, hey, here's the top 10 objections I usually get and ask yourself why. Why do I get these objections? Have you thought about it like that before, Wes, with yeah. your, your path? This is, this is exactly what I tell people to do. If, if you've ever seen like a comparison chart, that's like where the two circles meet kind of in the middle. So there's like a one spot, one spot, and then there's like a mutual spot. Yep. And I tell people to, to do that with their objections. Think up of every objection that you can possibly think of that you get and categorize it into which, where does that objection lie? Is it something that you did? That you, that you did that triggered it? Is it something that they have done, their experience? So is it triggered by you? Is it triggered by them? So their experience, their childhood, their whatever. Uh, and, or is it both? So is it impacted by both? And once you have it categorized, now you can start to go back and break down the root cause of that and what you can do to head that off and what that objection personally needs in order for it to, for you to be able to head it off. But now the key is not to just take that one objection and place it in your sales process or in your conversation. It's to build a framework or a structure that allows you to start working through that piece. Yes. That makes sense. So it's not about just any particular objection. It's about what's the transformation that needs to happen. Where do I need to refine myself? What questions do I need to be asking? What triggers do I need to be looking for? And then you can start building that into your sales process and onto your, your, calls i don't personally believe in scripts but even if you had a script i don't either i don't know because it needs a, you need to have that personal connection exactly and so how can i build that into my call to be able to grab that from them that's why in the beginning with every single one of my first calls i'm looking to gauge who the person is yep and what i need to do to start being able to make that transformation with that person because just like anything else if we want to get better so the reason why we've gotten to where we are is because we focus so hard on mastering our craft and although we'll never be able to master it, and it's something that's ongoing forever, it's, an illusion. It's, something that, it's something that we love, but we made that commitment. And so how can I create a process that allows this person on the other side to make that commitment to themselves and to getting better so that we can build a relationship that is based off of growth, not off of scarcity. And that's where a lot of these objections happen. And so Equip, and that's why I love about what you said, equip the fir person first, transform them, give them breakthroughs. And as long as that's your focus, you're not going to be dealing with a lot of these objections. At all. I mean, you're not. It. If you do this properly and you hold yourself accountable to what Wes is talking about, what we've been talking about for this whole topic. And if you have to, you know, start with courage. It takes courage to go deep inside yourself and figure out Why? Why do I feel this way about this objection? I mean, what's the, what's the effect? Has it been a long-term effect for you? And then holding yourself accountable and finding the mechanics and figuring out how to get around it. 
that first call like Wes is talking about, I, I never talk about myself. I get on the phone, frame the call, what's going to happen. So that way it's clarity. They know exactly what's going to happen. This, and let them know that this call it, or this meeting and this encounter face-to-face, whatever, is I want them to understand that you're not being feeling judged. There's nothing that I haven't heard before. And if you do mention something in this meeting that I haven't heard before, I do have, <laughs> you know what I mean? I do have a way of always telling them, like, listen, I've never heard that issue before. I know exactly how to help you, but I need to ask you more questions to get to the root. Can I do that with you? It's all about how you frame. You just got to frame it. And once they're able to see that you're not a threat to them, physically, financially, spiritually, they're going to go, all right, I think he can help me. Then they get excited. Do they not, Wes? Absolutely. They get excited. Like, oh my gosh. We're about to discover something new. And I tell them, this is going to be a very difficult process for you. Or it can be a very easy one for you. But it's all about how you're going to look at this situation and this journey and how you treat this journey. Are you willing to do anything? And maybe sometimes you're not going to understand why. And I'm going to do my best to make sure that I explain that and provide clarity for you. But I need you to trust me. I've been here before. This is what I do. And here's, what, here's why I'm going to train you this way. Here's why I'm going to treat you this way. Because it's not about this product or service you want so bad you think you want. But it may be a way for you to be able to look at this as just a stepping stone and it's just a drop in a bucket compared to what you can actually do in life. It's beautiful. There's your approach. I don't care if you're, you've been in sales for 40 years, Wes. I can retrain you. I don't care if you've been in sales for a month. I can train you to be, become the, the best salesperson or the best you know, business person you've ever wanted to accomplish things in life. But the only way for me to understand you is to get to the core and root of the problem. And it's just going to take a lot of empathy. Yeah. Confidence. And your delivery, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. it you got to be able to frame it beautifully. And it's, you know, the way that I say things, and you, and you see me do this in group meetings a lot, and I've seen you do it as well, and I'm talking about effortlessly, I would see Wes do it, is you'll frame that next piece where they have zero questions. Yeah. And all, my question piece is always the end of the meeting. And I'll say, Mr. Prospect, Mr. Prospect, I, 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 know, I know you're asking me all these questions. I get it. But just give me about 10 minutes, and I'm probably going to answer a lot of these questions. But I do have a last little piece of this call where I'll make sure that we're both clear on what we're going to do for each other, what you're going to do, what I'm going to do to help you get there. But I'm going to ask you some questions. And if you have any questions for me and I haven't covered, please feel free to bring them up. So now they'll go, okay, great. I just completely took it away from them. Now I'm going to go through my call, and I get to the end, I'll go, do you have any questions? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and they had 50,000 questions. Did they not? Yeah. I have zero questions. And then you can hold yourself accountable to it. Wes knows this about me, but a lot of people don't. After every meeting I have a feedback form or a questionnaire, they have to fill out. Why do you think I have them fill out that question? Still to this, still to this day, 
I still have people fill out a questionnaire. Why do you think I asked them to fill it out? You, you want to see how much of an impact you made. And from that impact, a couple of things I can do with it. I, can re I read every single form. I read that form and I hold myself accountable what I did and what I didn't do on that call. Yeah. Then I can help. Then I can have my notes of what I wrote down, all the negative things, haven't I? Yeah. I can go and, and I game plan. I, game, I actually prep myself before every meeting. My assistants are beautiful and I love all my assistants. But my assistants, they, are you ready for your next call? Are you ready? That's their job is to get them to me, right? Are you ready for the next call? Are you ready? I was like, no, man, just give me like five minutes. I got to read who, who it is, like what it's about. Like what, what were my notes? And I talked to him before. Then I have an idea, pre-call analysis of who they are. Then after, after I have my call, have their next meeting, before their next meeting, I'm reading their questionnaires of where I can plug in the holes. Where can I make an impact? Where can I help them more? How can I help them understand that they can actually break through all these barriers and become whoever they want to become? That's the difference. Yeah. And there's, that's, where the, that's where they see the attention. I don't need to tell them my attention. Right. They feel it. They feel it. They feel it through what I'm doing with them, how I'm doing it, and most importantly, why. And I'm going to always tell them the why. Here's why I'm going to do this with you. It's going to suck, but it's going to be okay. I'm going to be with you until we figure out how together we're going to work this out. And what you share with me and what you don't share with me, that's completely on you. Why am I, why am I saying it this way? It's ownership. You got you to gotta own this shit, man. You yeah. got to own it. You can't just say, I want to be the best. I want to be the best version of myself every day. How long yeah. have you heard me say that? Same saying. I ask myself every day, how can I become 1% better every day? Yeah. This, you'll never see an overnight success. You'll see years of them working on themselves. Yeah. Every time I go home and visit home, like I went from me going to England and going home every once in a while and I'll still run into the same people. I don't ever like talk to people. I don't set up. I used to have to do is when I lived in like Austin, Texas and in, in, in California and stuff, different places when I still lived in the States before I was able to experience what I really wanted to accomplish in life and find my purpose, Wes. I would go home and it, it made it so difficult for me to see everybody that I would invite them all in one place and then I would go and, and we would just have a good time. Does that make sense? Yeah. I had so many people around me. I live life to be able to, socialize and party, have a good time because I was single. Wes, I go home now, man. I don't even tell people I'm going. Yeah. Because it's, it's not about the time that I spend. It's how I, ha how I spend my time. And I'm looking to spend it with the people that mean the most to me. Yeah. That's my family. Because there's people and there's, and there's toxic people. Yeah. I don't really have a lot of that your standard. Yeah. I don't have, a, I mean, talk to me and talk to the listeners a little about that. And I know that we'll wrap up with this and kind of give them a little assignment to work on. Talk to them about a little bit of tying in some of the how to's on being able to do this effortlessly, but then most importantly, look for the toxic influences or in their lives that's potentially held them back before. Yeah. You have, that's, that's a great question because you have to audit. You constantly have to audit yourself. Just like you said, how do you know if you got 1% better that day if you didn't audit yourself at the end of that day? Measure and reassess, right? And so you got to constantly do that. And that's the, 
it's funny how sales and life work in very similar ways. Mm-hmm. And it's, you have to take the time to reflect, measure, reassess, and see who you are. Here's the one thing though. And this is why, you, you know, why it goes back to you saying you need courage because you really do need courage because a lot of us know how something makes us feel. A lot of us know how something, if that something isn't really good for us. We know if we're not on track, yep. but we don't have the courage to, to face it and say, I need to make a change, especially if it hits deep, especially if it's very personal or it touches on a high emotional part of you. And so that's the first step is you need to have the courage to say, I am my outcome and where I want to be and who I want to become is much more important than what I have to face right now, whether it's rejection, right. whether it's even potentially some conflict, whatever it may be, I need to shed the skin so that I can grow and become who I need to be. And that type of mentality will play a huge role in the effect you have on the person on the other side of you that you're trying to convince to do whatever it is you want them to do. Right. I, I'm, I love the way that you shared that with the listeners. And when you're talking, when you were, when you were communicating that, I couldn't stop my mind to wonder to the person that is listening to this, that I'm like, okay, this sounds great. It's going to take a lot of courage. It's going to take time. It's going to take an effort, but nothing worth, there's nothing worth of value that doesn't take effort. You got to really want it. Yeah. You got to really want it. And especially if you hit a certain level of success, Wes, I mean, I had something happen to me and, and a lot of people probably shouldn't share this, but I've had something happen to me a couple months ago that was such a, a traumatic experience, but what it took a lot of courage for me to be able to f- hold myself accountable and really, really dig deep and figuring out where I failed. And I learned a lot about myself, a lot about myself. Because when you're focusing on something and you're trying to accomplish a bigger goal that you never thought you would ever, you got to literally find out of the version. And that's, and that's what probably people are, are going to have an issue with. So I, I really can't share anything else on this topic other than, you know, hoping that people can find that courage. Because if you're able to dig deep and find that courage and sit back and reflect on this meeting, you might discover something that can transform your life. And you can make such an impact with people, maybe not financially, but that's where the money always will come, always will come Wes. Yeah. It always will come. It doesn't matter if it's in sales, but how can you lead with your heart? My mom would tell me that for years. And she's told me that since I was a kid. If you always lead with your heart, you'll never lose. Yeah. And it's true. But you, when you usually lead with your heart, you usually can get yourself hurt. Can you not? Absolutely. But that's where you find, that's where you find something where you can cut it off. I'm zero attached to every person. Yeah. Every sale, zero attachment there until they earn it. They earn it for me. They earn me being emotional with them. They earn that. I don't share anything about my life other than, I don't know, surface level stuff. Because this isn't about me, man. This is about you. How right. can I help you? This isn't about a product or service or good. This is about how can you apply that product or service or good. 
I need to transform you first until you're even ready for it. So don't even talk to me about that company. Yeah. Game over. And that's who you are. That's who you are. And that's why, again, who you are, what you represent leads to the outcome that you're searching for. Mm-hmm. And you cannot expect anyone else to follow you or follow what you're saying if you yourself don't represent that. And representing that doesn't mean a status. Yep. It doesn't mean like you don't have to make a certain amount of money or any of that. You have to have a very pure intention, a known intention, and you have to be, re- you have to be representative of someone who's willing to take that challenge. Right. You got to be 100% authentic. You. Yeah, you got to be 100% authentic. I mean, I, yeah. and that's why I was willing to go through that again after hitting a, such a high level of success, Wes, spiritually, mentally, you know, financially. You know, over the years, I've, I, I've had a, a massive amount of success and, and, and zero fulfillment in certain areas of my life. And I couldn't understand why. How am I able to do this effortlessly with people that, you know, in companies and corporations, and I can't do this shit with myself to a, to a certain level yeah. until I was able to go through this traumatic experience and then I go, all right, enough of the bullshit. I got to take the gloves off and I'm going to sit here until I figure it out. And what did you tell me at that time? You got to feel it. You got to feel it. And the only way to do that, because most people, what they would do, they'll run to something that will actually take away the pain. Will they not? Yeah. Work on, they'll go and find something they enjoy or they'll go, go, go to work and just try to mask that. But you're not going to change yourself. Right. I'm not the same person I was yesterday. I'm not the same person I was when I experienced that traumatic experience. I'm a completely different person. And I'm going to show that with my intention later on in life. And that's the only way you're going to be able to do anything you really want to do is you need to figure out who the hell you are. And sometimes leading with all the shit you've done. You got to hold yourself responsible. I take responsibility for my part. And then I forgave myself for it. And I can give a shit if the other person or other people and other such people in that type of situation can, you know, do the same. I can care less. It doesn't matter to me because I'm a better person. Yeah. And I'm not going to entertain it. That's the only person you can control is yourself. And, And my reasons of doing that were for a bigger cause bigger than myself, bigger than the situation, bigger than the other parties involved. See what I'm saying? I've turned myself into a different version of a businessman. I've I've watched you do it through your past as Gover. And I I know you personally, and know the things that overcome you've overcome in your life. And those are the, those are the people that really succeed in life. So I hope people are listening, you know, into this. And I appreciate every single one of the listeners that paid attention all the way to the end. Um, anything that we maybe have left out West that you want to share? Really, my last thing would be just understand that objections aren't about objections. They're not about handling that object- objection. Switch your focus to something bigger right? and follow all the steps that we talked about today. And as always, because I know we always forget to say it, fill out the feedback form. <laughs> let us know how we did. Let us know how we did, what kind of impact we made and and how we can help you moving forward in the future. Cause that's really what we're, what we're all about here. And that's what we're looking to do. So, and to share it with a friend that needs to see this or needs to hear this. I can't tell you how much of a gift that will be 
for someone really struggling with some things, especially with, you know, what's going on in the world. People are isolating themselves and they're in, in alone in their own thought. Think about their, the psychological effect to someone that's a, you know, an extrovert or introvert, you know, people are completely different. People need yeah. to feed off energy and feed off whatever they need to do. I mean, it's, they really struggle. And when people get alone in their own thoughts, that's where they might potentially do things that they, they normally wouldn't do. Yeah. But this, but it's all about perception is how you use this time. Are you growing, going through it or growing from it? And that's how you handle an objection. And it's not really handling us. How do I deal with it? Yeah. How do I deal with it? Now it's here. How do I deal with it? What am I going to do? Are you going to let this beat you? I mean, there's no person on the phone or in on sales and corporations and business. It doesn't matter in my personal life that I, I know that is going to, and it's not about a competition. They're going to beat me. No. Am I going to allow them to beat myself? Them talking or them, their action, their inaction, are they going to get able to penetrate to my emotions and get to my core? And get to something and push that button because I feel sorry for the people that knew me in the past and they're going to try to push these buttons. It no longer works. I diffused it. Yeah. You're not going to get a rise out of me. You're not going to get an emotion out of me. You're not going to get me to beat myself. And there's nothing worse than beating yourself. Yeah. You're going to be very disappointed. But other than that, yeah, fill out the feedback form. I appreciate every single last one of you. Wes, always grateful. And I, it, Look forward to every single week we get to record something new for the listeners. And I know that when we very first started getting to the point to, hey, we should do a podcast, like, because our normal conversations are just like this. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> now we're just sharing it with everybody else. So I hope that this really helps. Other than that, yeah. y'all guys have a great time. Be safe. Wash your hands. Y'all take care. Bye, guys. Thank you for taking your time and listening to today's podcast of The Win-Win Effect. In success, it's all about living a better quality of life. So at the very least, subscribe to The Win-Win Effect podcast so you don't miss the next episode. Feel free to share on your social media or simply tell a friend about it. Also, please rate and review the podcast.